Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Something a bit different this week. At the beginning of the year in our New Year's Eve special, I spoke with Bill Shapiro. We had a little chat about what photography could be bringing us, where it could be going in the coming year. And we enjoyed the process so much that we decided that we would check in with each other again mid-year, about now, to see if what we were talking about had been right and was still relevant, and what other things had been coming up over the last few months that we thought were worth discussion. The way it works is very simple. I throw Bill an email with a few comments, no more usually than four or five lines, and then he emails me back a response with a few of his own thoughts. Who is Bill Shapiro, if you don't know? Well, Bill is a writer, editor, an all-round interesting guy when it comes to photography. If you check out the United Nations of Photography.com page where this week's episode is posted, you'll get a full CV on Bill. Anyway, Bill was in Brooklyn, I was in the shed, and we had a chat. Okay, so um, Bill, thanks very much for uh, coming back onto the podcast. Uh, we spoke at the beginning of the year, and this is your half term report. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Always a pleasure, Grant. Okay. So, well, uh, Bill and I spoke at the beginning of the year. Um, always enjoyable to talk to Bill, somebody so informed. Um, and what we started, in fact, it reminds me of a little thing that John Berger once did where he sent um, some cadmium red and he, he discussed, discuss, uh, started, I should say, a discussion um, between himself and an artist that went on for many years. Maybe this will be the same for you and I, Bill, but we swapped emails on some ideas. And when we did this at the beginning of the year, um, it was amazing how we kind of hit on the same things. Um, we've done it again. And hey, guess what? <laughs> We're in simpatico again. So I thought what we do, Bill, if it's good for you, is um, let's work our way through what you said and what I said um, and let's um, see where that takes us to. Let the chips fall where they may. That's very appropriate because I'm going to start off with um, something that I said and something that you said, uh, a big discussion point at the beginning of the year. Uh, I said, are NFTs dying? And you said... Um, that uh, photography in the metaverse, in the spirit of talking about something I know about, I wonder how people feel uh, uh, about having their photos selling and appearing only in the metaverse. Is a sale a sale and so forth? Are you happy to have your work live in a VR home and nowhere else? Uh, are you happy to shoot for the metaverse? And interestingly enough, on the day that we're recording this, um, I saw this on the BBC website. Cryptocurrency markets are being rocked after a popular token lost 99% of its value, dragging down a so-called stable coin with it. 
The Terra Luna token fell from a high of $118.96 pounds last month to $0.09 um, this Thursday. Uh, the collapse had a knock-on effect on a linked token, Terra USD, which is normally stable and spooked investors uh, as who are now pulling out of major cryptocurrencies, sending markets plummeting. Uh, over to you, Bill. Well, I think we should separate a couple things. Um, one is the metaverse from NFTs. So let's talk, let's talk about NFTs first. And, and they're linked, obviously, but let's, let's set the metaverse aside because in some ways it's a bigger, headier, trippier um, topic. And then we also should separate crypto from NFTs. So they're, obviously they're linked, but, but they're not the same thing. Um, all this being said, I know so little about this, um, but I'm going to do my best to pretend and sound like I know quite a bit. Um, but I also would like to quote something that I came across today because it's very much in the news, um, according to the uh, data website Non-Fungible, so Non-Fungible NFT. Um, the sale of non-fungible tokens or NFTs fell to a daily average of about 19,000 this week, a 92% decline from a peak of about 225,000 in September. So that really talks about not the value, but the volume. Um, and I think, you know, when we last spoke, we were really wondering skeptically if NFTs uh, were gonna die, um, were they gonna thrive? Um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, they've definitely lost some, some heat. Um, and that and that the buzz is kind of diminished. Um, you know, they they promised, I think, to to photographers, you know, buckets of money. Um, but that hasn't really materialized, you know, over some months. And and that with, you know, some of the hacking of the sites, you know, I think uh, has put a bit of a, a damper on the party. So what does that mean? Well, I think, you know, I. I think there's a larger issue. Well, first of all, I hope it means less clutter in my um, Twitter feed from people promoting NFTs that to me has felt very much like a Ponzi scheme. Um, you know, it, it really feels like I'm constantly being sold, um, told I'm going to be missing out, uh, made to feel foolish for not jumping on the NFT bandwagon you know, either with my own images or or by purchasing other images. Um, so that uh, anecdotally, and I guess the numbers of volume in terms of volume bared out has has cooled a bit. But I do think that there's a larger issue that NFTs bring up, which does still need to be resolved. And whether that's through NFTs or something else, you know, stepping back, I see photographers were so eager to jump on the NFT bandwagon um, and were maybe a little blinded by some of the NFT buzz because at bottom, you know, Grant, there's like this massive desire on the part of photographers to have more control over their work, uh, over their fine artwork for sure, which I totally get. It's like they, they sell a piece to a gallery, maybe they get 50%. And then if it sells again on the secondary market, after it's gone up, hopefully, you know, three, four times, they never see another dime of that. And that doesn't really seem 
fair to me, you know, in, in other uh, mediums, um, books or, or screenplays, you know, when you sell something, you get royalties. But let me just put something to you on that. Please. Imagine I was a carpenter and I was a, I was a, a an artisan uh, carpenter and I would made a piece of furniture and you, Bill, came to my shop and you bought my, my piece of furniture, a, a, a bookshelf, for example. And then you kept that bookshelf for a few years and then you sold that bookshelf. Should I get money then, a payment, because you sold the thing that you bought from me? I'm playing so, devil's advocate here. Yeah, no, um, and, and, and I'm glad you are, and it's an interesting example. Um, you know, I think there's something about authorship and additioning and um, creating a fine art piece versus a book, you know, a bookshelf in this particular case. I think that if I sell my bookshelf to you and you resell it for five times the value, yeah, maybe I should get something. But that idea of buying a photo book at a price and then finding that within a year or a couple of years, you paid 40 pounds, maybe about $80. And suddenly it's three, 400 pounds for that book. And there are examples of that. Um, as we all know, should that photographer get a percentage of that four or 500 pounds or of that 30, 40 pounds that it got sold for in the bookstore? I mean, you know, I think it would be such a wonderful thing if you were to, sell one of your photo books for $400 and send the photographer, um, you know, a check for $25. I mean, how great, I mean, I'm not saying you should, but, but what a wonderful, um, surprise and, and sort of, um, pay it forward economy that that would be. I mean, I mean, you know, there's nothing not to like in that. I think the bigger question, and I suppose it, it ties in with this question around metaverse as well is first of all, does anybody want to own an NFT? Um, you know, because that's the end, end of it. I mean, you know, it's all very well saying, well, it's worth this and it's worth that, but it's like a price of a house. You know, you can't tell me your house worth that unless somebody gives you that. Well, that's right. You know, and, and I'm not sure people want to own NFTs or know what well, to and, do with NFTs. Well, well, that, and that's something else. Cause there is some confusion in the marketplace. If you buy an NFT of a, of a photograph, you are not buying the copyright. You are not allowed to reprint that, um, you know, or, or, um, you know, you don't own the copyright. You, you own the expression of the copyright. Um, so it's, you, you're not really owning much. But, you, you know, as we all know, try explaining copyright to anybody who isn't involved <laughs> in actually making something. But I'd like, I'm interested just before we move on, because I'd like to move on to the photo book thing as well, because there's an interesting uh, discussion around that. But you were talking about metaverse. What's your interpretation of metaverse? Well, so I, I actually have some, some big thoughts about this. So, so this is sort of, um, um, you know, especially Mark Zuckerberg um, is talking about, um, you know, a completely digital version of a world where you would exist and stores would exist and, and you would see scenery and you could, of course, buy things, which is sort of the, the half the point of it. Um, and when it comes to photography, it, you know, as you were alluding to earlier, 
is it of interest to photographers to take a picture and sell it only in the metaverse? But I read this really interesting um, post um, in a in a magazine that I used to work for called Fast Company, um, and it and it, and it's by Brian O'Neill, who is the director of product um, management at Adobe. And I can send you the link, and maybe you put it in the in the show notes because it's it is really interesting. Um, but he asked some questions like, because the metaverse is itself a kind of picture, if you can take it, if you take it, can you take a picture? inside the metaverse? Can you take a picture inside of a picture? And what would you call that image? If you take a photo of something that's not real, is it a real photograph? Who's going to create this metaverse if this metaverse does come together? Because intrinsically, what we're talking about here is image making. Now, whether or not that CGI image making or VR or AI, it is image making. And and that should fall within the skill sets of photographers. Now, let's say he raises this other point, not not quite like this, because he, he wasn't thinking the way the way we're thinking. But let's say you're strolling down a street in the metaverse and you take a, a street, quote unquote, street photo. The thing that you're capturing in the background, right, all the storefronts or whatever, or the mountains, who knows, has been created by somebody else. Do you need their permission? And getting back to copyright, do you need their permission to include their creative work? in your photograph of it. So that like that, that, that's a whole new concept. Well, it kind of is, but I'm presuming that big tech are going to build this metaverse world in which we are, uh, they wish us to live in. Um, and therefore are they not going to control that? Well, I think, the, I think, and again, I'm not, I'm not an expert on this, that various brands or, or individuals have the opportunity to build their own storefronts or their own um, kind of mm, landscape or real estate. Like, I think it is a creative enterprise. I don't think it comes fully formed thanks to Facebook. I think it's the kind of thing that you, you know, buy property and and develop it yourself, maybe under some rules. It reminds me of, of, of magazines 20 years ago. And I, I was asked to design the dummy for a magazine for a big newspaper company. And the idea they had at that point um, was that you would buy a magazine and you would look at clothes and you would put your phone over the clothes in the magazine and you would, you're laughing and smiling. You obviously were involved in similar things. At at times we were doing the same. Yeah. Yeah. And the the idea was that you were instantly going to buy it through your phone or whatever. And perhaps what we're talking about at this point is people coming up with similarly kind of mad ideas, which time will show that actually these things won't happen, but something else will happen, which will have elements of it in it. I think that's 100 percent right. And, And I think just to kind of close the loop on NFTs. You know, I think the same is true. So maybe NFTs are not dead, but they're they're on oxygen. I think so. I think so. Which raises a really interesting point because you also said um, photo book clubs. Aperture has just launched a Zoom photo book club, uh, and a couple of other photo influencers on social media have been talking about or have started the same. This idea of the photo book, because you then go on to talk about this idea of um, 
I'm inundated by photo books. I'm getting so many calls from people about how to get a photo book published. Why is this? Are people tired of social and the vagaries of the algorithms that determine who sees their book? Are we craving physical things, something else? And to me, that's an argument you've put forward, which is really interesting because you've kind of argued completely and utterly against the metaverse, I would say. I think the reason why people want the photo book, why they're so keen is they want a physical artifact that almost sort of says, I'm a photographer. Look, here is my proof of that rather than, yeah, I've got stuff up online or I'm a photographer or whatever. What do you think? Um, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I I do think the metaverse is a different expression and a different experience, but to, to the second uh, point you made, I think it's, I could not agree more. Um, You know, there's something sort of physical and totemistic about having this book that you made. That's a physical thing that you can pop in the mail or hand to somebody that feels much more um, lingering and somehow important than, um, you know, a link to something on Instagram or Twitter or, or, or a website. So I a hundred percent agree with that. But are there too many of them coming out? Are there books being made that shouldn't be made? I don't know about shouldn't be made. Um, should photographers be thinking about the environmental impact of putting out a photo book that, you know, maybe they should wait a year and have their project be more fully baked? Yeah. So so for sure, what I am seeing and, and you know, it's not it's not necessarily brand new, but like book publishers are publishing more books by very well-known authors and photographers who, who have a a big social media following with a a perceived built-in market and people who were lower down on the food chain have to pay the publisher to get their book printed and and maybe distributed. And, And that's always to me problematic. But, you know, I can go back to um, a very well-known photographer uh, based in New York. He paid. And we're talking a long time ago now. We're talking back in the 90s. The publishers at that point were were taking money for it. And and I, I wonder how many of those photographers who are getting a lot of books published are actually contributing to that. It's like To me, it's really about distribution. Um, it's about audience, isn't it? It's about audience. And if you're using your photo book essentially as a business card, um, that's one thing. Um, if you have an expectation that your book will get picked up and displayed, uh, in bookstores, um, you're, I think you're in for a rough ride. So photo books, good thing. Photo clubs, good things. Just make sure you get on with people and be nice. Is that where we are? Do we think I'm, I'm with that. Okay. Moving on. Uh, I said (laughs) rather abstractly, perhaps appropriately, uh, is contemporary photography lost? And you came back with me um, putting what I was thinking in a much better way. You said curator speak. Will we ever see the end of it? Can we make a plea for curators to think about their audience, to maybe watch how people ingest or fail to ingest their words and then learn from that, to which I said, that is exactly what I mean by is contemporary photography lost. So um, so talk to me about that. Well, I, I went to um, a show recently in, in New York where I live, and the opening text um, was written 
I hope I can describe this well in the, in the, on the wall as most opening text is, but in a circular shape. So you had to sort of read around and kind of tilt your head um, to, to read all the sentences as it kind of spiraled inward, if that makes sense. Um, I, I read about one sentence and was like, screw this. And then I decided to watch other people walking in the gallery and everybody had the same reaction I did. They, they, they read about, you know, to, you know, for 30 seconds. And then we're like, I'm not, you know, this is about user experience um, and, and, and usability. And if people aren't experiencing the exhibit, you know, to, to, to a maximum potential, you need to fix it and you need to not do it again. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong if you've curated a show in a certain way, um, seeing that people aren't reacting to it in the way you'd hoped to fix it, stay up, stay up all night and fix that thing. So, so that's part of it, but also the language. And, and when I was thinking about having this conversation, I just, I just Googled something really quick and, and I, and I, you know, under like, uh, you know, a curator statement and it, something said, um, these hybrid and multiple selves are depicted through mirroring and cloning repetition and transfiguration. Okay, fine. I'm sure I could make my way through that. But photography is the most democratic of art forms, arguably. And if you're not speaking in a way that many people can understand it and appreciate it and learn from it, who are you writing this text for? Yes, is all I'm going to say. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it takes us back to audience again. You know, is that, are you respecting the audience? And who do you think your audience is? Do you, are you aware of that audience? I, I have this feeling based on nothing um, that a lot of times curators are really writing for other curators. And, you know, I'm sure some curators will go to see their show, maybe a couple dozen, but the mass amounts of people probably have not been to a advanced degree photography program or art program. And they're just caught up by the image they saw on the street and, and wander in. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely, I couldn't agree with you more. Obviously, you know, we made the film about Bill J because Bill railed against this kind of thing for many decades. And uh, I saw that Jerry Souts uh, today tweeted about the importance for artists to keep it simple. And yes. you know, basically, if you, you know, if you're not going to try and keep it simple, don't bother trying. It's difficult because, you know, as somebody who has, um, worn the, the the heavy worsted tweed of academy um, at different times, the cloak of academy, um, and and I'm and I've I've got a doctor shit, you know I'm a doctor, so supposedly I, I'm I'm meant to understand this stuff. I think maybe it's even written for me. I don't know, but I very rarely understand it, and it does make me. As I said, I think it's a little bit like the photo book thing or a bit like the metaverse. Is the metaverse language all about the people who understand it or do they want to get everybody to understand it? Because I think at the moment, most people don't. I think the same thing with photo books. I see a lot of photo books and I think, well, why? What, what's the intention? What is the narrative? What, you know, what, what's the expectation of the photographer? I don't get it. Well, just like it, it is possible to communicate interesting and complicated ideas 
inaccessible language. It just is. And if you're not doing that, why aren't you doing that? Are you insecure about um, the statement you're making and you're trying to put it up on some pedestal that people that it, that it sounds fancy and it sounds intellectual? Um, I would really urge curators or people studying, uh, you know, the, the curation arts to try to keep it simple. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's just because you and I both come from a publishing background and, okay. and the whole point of what we do is to try and keep it simple. Yeah, and it doesn't mean, you know, you have to make it stupid. It means you as the writer need to work harder to to make the words um, understandable and exciting. The final thing, um, and I've written here, uh, I am so lost with Instagram. I'm happy for you to pick up on this one and explain it to me. Because what you said is I'm hearing so many complaints from the photo community about how reels are taking over their feed and swallowing still images whole. The NFT crowd has flocked to Twitter, of course. And while Twitter seems to be growing for photographers, the platform is clearly a word first arena. I think Twitter could carve out a great space if it thought about how to show photos. So explain to me, um, Instagram and Twitter, well, what are you thinking? Well, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Instagram. I, I think it's um, terrific for looking at pictures. I've found so many great under the radar photographers um, on, on Instagram, but I think the complaints are real. And I, I agree with, you know, 90% of them. Um, I, I do not want to see personally reels, you know, these, these short videos. And I wish there was a way that Instagram would let, um, you know, have an on off switch or, or a slow down switch. I wish we could personalize the experience a bit more. Uh, I'm being inundated now by suggested followers, which Okay. Once in a while, I, I don't, I don't like leave me alone. Basically. I want less interference from Instagram. Everybody's complaining about the algorithm that they, that they're not seeing sort of what, that their stuff isn't being seen by as many people. People are also complaining about ads, uh, too many ads. And honestly, this is the one that I disagree with because I feel like it's a free service. It's a good service. The ads in, in large part pay for the service. Um, and, and you just sort of have to um, understand that that's the that's the business model. It's just always concerning when you get ads, isn't it, of something that you've spoken about but never actually looked for. Oh, well, that is th that's a whole other thing. Um, and that's that I cannot I cannot put up with at all. It's terrible. Or, or you've emailed somebody, you know, about, um, I don't know, a salad bowl. And then all of a sudden you're you're pumped full of salad bowl advertisements yeah yeah it's it's very very strange i i you know instagram for me is something i've never really got the hang of because i suppose i i was already so involved in other things i just didn't need a another platform to to deal with right. and i think going forward for photographers they've really got to make some decisions about which of these platforms are working for them and in a way i suppose not complain just kind of get on with it and if it doesn't work lose that one and move into another area you know, I um, I wrote a story, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago um, where I interviewed a few photo directors 
um, about do they use Instagram? How do they discover photos? And they use Instagram. You know, back in the old days, you you and I probably had portfolios, big black portfolios dropped off on our desks on Friday and to be picked up the following week. That doesn't really happen um, anymore. The photo editors I talked with look at Instagram first. Um, there are ways that they look at Instagram. They don't really want to see, well, they're split on this, but some don't want to see lots of your personal pictures. Some do because they want to see like, oh, this guy actually is really handy. He could build his own wooden cabin. He would be great for this assignment. I've, when I speak to photo editors and art directors, absolutely, you're right. They are using that and they do use that. And I make sure that my students actually establish strong Instagram uh, platforms. And I also yeah. try and encourage them to use Twitter because I do think that Twitter is a really good community um, connecting networking tool. No, I agree with you hundred percent. And and I think a lot of the discourse, uh, especially when it's newsy, but, you know, news-based, you know, war photographs or whatnot um, is terrific on Twitter, better than on Instagram, but they don't quite have a tool yet that lets you see 10, you know, see 10 pictures at a, at a, at a swipe. And if they did that, um, I think they would have something really pretty powerful. Yeah. You mentioned war photographs and actually the final thing um, I just wanted to mention, and, and I don't even know really if it's something that we can talk about in a great detail, but um it was a thought and I, I wanted to share it with you to get your, your take on it. Um, I just wrote, have the images coming out of Ukraine uh, dulled us to the reality of war? Are they too much like a, a video game or uh, an ex a dystopian drama or Hollywood film? And I think there's an element of digital photography and digital filmmaking that the same equipment is being used to make these images of reality that are being used to make the dramatic interpretations of such things that we've got used to over the last 10, 15, 20 odd years. I don't know. Um, but I would hate to think that people were being dulled to that reality, but there's a part of me that thinks that maybe they are. I have not experienced that partly because I don't play video games. <laughs> well, nor do I. I mean, I, I'm speaking vicariously. Here. Right. But I, I think there's been some terrific work coming out of Ukraine. You know, Lindsay Adario is doing great work. Yeah. Uh, Emilio, I hope I don't pronounce his name incorrectly, uh, Morinati. And then I saw a picture recently by a photographer named, um, I believe, Vadim Girda of a close up of a victim's hands bound by plastic behind his back, only the hands in the plastic. And that was as powerful of an image as I've seen, because it just lets your brain fill in all the rest. Yeah. Um, which is always, always the, the point at which you can take it to a, a different place, isn't it? I think yeah. Marcus Yam also his work, I know he's just received a Pulitzer, um, for his work, but where he posted on Twitter images with lines, which were almost like a haiku. Um, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was an incredibly powerful use of language yeah. uh, with image as well. So, so let's hope that that work kind of has the relevance and continues to have the relevance it, it needs to have. Absolutely. It's always very difficult. Listen, Bill, as always, it's a pleasure 
to just shoot the breeze with you. Um, and we, we could talk for hours, but I always do try to keep the podcast short. But whenever you come on, it's always a special extra long episode. I was going to say, you may have picked the wrong guy if you want to keep it short, because I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. But thank you. That's so am I, usually. <laughs> and I think it's really interesting to pick up on where we were at the beginning of the year, sort of six months on. Um, and uh, maybe we'll do it again at the end of the year. And who knows? Will, will we still be talking about NFTs? That will be the big question. <laughs> well, um, sign me up, Grant. It's always a pleasure. I love what you do. And I love, uh, I love chatting with you. That's really kind. Okay. Have a good uh, rest of the week. Same to you. Take care. Thanks to Bill for yet another interesting chat. I hope you enjoyed it also. Also, I have to say that Bill's moving from Brooklyn to New Mexico, so I wish him good luck with that move. I also want to wish all of you what I wish you every week. Take care.